The Truth in Cannabis podcast is brought to you by Farm True, a proud American hemp company. On this episode of the Truth in Cannabis podcast, we are joined by Raymond Mazzi, the Vice President of Corporate Development at Greenpoint Research. Thank you, Raymond, for coming on the show. What's a little bit of background about yourself? Uh, very interesting background bringing you into cannabis. Yeah, so uh, like a lot of other people, I didn't have a, a direct route into cannabis. It really came through some connections that I made um, at Florida State College of Law when I when I went to school there. And then um, after I finished up, I went and got my MBA and uh, worked for the governor of Florida, Rick Scott, for about a year at the Department of Lottery. Um, also spent a little bit of time in some other regulatory agencies like the Department of Business and Professional Regulation and uh, Florida Housing Finance Corporation. After that, I spent probably it only took me eight months to realize I didn't want to be an attorney. Kind of had to check that box. And then from there, I was uh, lucky enough to be selected as uh, employee number one by our CEO, David Hasenauer here at Greenpoint Research, who was a fellow alum from, from Florida State College of Law, along with the two other founders, uh, Jordan Pace and uh, Light Townsend. So that's what <clears throat> they gave me a ring, told me that they were doing something really great in the hemp space. Uh, I really liked the idea. And uh, I figured I'd jump on board, and ever since then, it's just been uh, a blessing, to be completely honest. Awesome! Wow, that that's a that's an impressive background, and and one that's really valuable to not only the show today, but ultimately to your to your business. And tell me a little bit more about your business and Greenpoint Research. Yeah, so in a in a in a nutshell, Greenpoint Research aims to be the largest low cost biomass originator and processor in the world. What we do is we, um, we partner up with universities, local governments, other companies. We, we identify particular use cases for um, industrial hemp or phytocannabinoid-rich hemp. Um, after we identify those use cases and they fit our particular economic metrics that, that we look for and in, in going down or basically going after a new, a new market, we then create we back that. We do research at the university. We back that into a um, a particular cultivar or, or seed that we would like to produce that has uh, whatever um, molecular molecular compounds or um, particular content like cellulose, lignin lipids, or cannabinoids, as most people are familiar with, that make it a perfect feedstock for the process um, necessary to create the product in the use case we're studying. Very cool. So, do you guys, you guys are all around the country when you were looking at um, opportunities? Is is that correct? Uh, even further than that, internationally. So we have operations down in um, Colombia. We have operations in Colorado, like a lot of other people, and uh, we're working on a couple industrial hemp pilot projects down here in Florida. But there are definitely no lines in the sand that we won't cross in regard to uh, looking for new opportunities. Awesome. And so if people, if people want to get in touch with your business, what's the best, best way to do that? Is that over online website? Yeah, you can definitely put in inquiries there, but I mean, I, I would love for anybody who's interested in working with Greenpoint Research to reach out directly to me. Uh, my email's Ray, R-A-Y, at greenpointresearch.com. So uh, always feel free to reach out to me. Awesome. Thanks for giving us a little rundown there. And so we're going to get a little bit into um, the hot topic of the day, being that new USDA hemp regulation, the interim final rule, um, and kind of what that means for people. Some of the some of the reactions hot off the press. Um, I've got Facebook groups and LinkedIn groups of people who are uh, 
I guess, definitely debating it, the pros and cons of what's going on. So, um, yeah, let's talk about it a little bit. Let's uh, tell me a little bit about what you see just overall. Yeah, so um, what's rising to the top of my mind, and uh, very quickly is a conversation we had last night, me and my team. Um, really, the the interim rules reflect what Mitch McConnell probably had in mind. Uh, Mitch McConnell was looking to create an industrial hemp environment or a market, if you will. I really, I mean, to be completely honest, people probably won't like that I'm saying this, but phytocannabinoid-rich hemp is really mutated medical marijuana, if you think about it. It's high in all these other cannabinoids, but except for THC. Um, I don't personally think that's a bad thing for the world, but it's just not what Mitch McConnell and probably the legislature contemplated when they were creating the 2018 Farm Bill. Um, if you read the 2018 Farm Bill, Carefully, I believe I'm, I'm no scientist, and honestly, I'm I'm less of a lawyer than I was when I graduated law school. But if I read it, if I'm recalling correctly, um, they talked about decarboxylated THC, which would, in from what I know about the the process, that would basically include THCA because when it becomes decarboxylated, it, tra- it um, converts. But basically, what I'm trying to say is Mitch McConnell was trying to say total THC content. Period. End of story. Um, that's not good for the cannabinoid market that's derived from um, hemp or PCR hemp. But um, when I read the rules and saw that THCA was included, I just, I wasn't surprised. And in fact, the people who have lost so much uh, or have been having trouble selling their, their product around the country, if if they're good farmers, then they're going to be pretty happy that the supply is probably going to drop pretty quickly here. Yeah, seriously. And I mean, I've, I see farmers that are totally stressed out about that, that we're not anticipating. And rightfully that. so. I mean, there should be some type of rule that protects the people with, with crop already in the ground, you know, but I mean, people who are going to rush forward and, and act like the rule should change because they think so. Um, I, I don't want to say they're wrong, but I just want to, I want them to understand that when the legislature is passing a law, that that's not what they were contemplating. And, and I want to be quite frank, this is not perfect for our company either, but it will it will really make people think a lot more about where they get their genetics, number one, and who they farm with. Um, I think it's pretty funny when this industry just blew up over the last couple of years that people have never farmed before thought all of a sudden they're going to be farmers or people who have no scientific background or engineering background thought that they're going to be um, the best processors. And it's not to say that people can't make money in either of those things being first-timers but um, to think that they're going to compete at a high level with people who have been doing it for years is is almost insulting to the others. Yeah, seriously, and yep, it's that that green rush. That's and- why I'm yeah. That's why I'm the corporate development guy. You know, I don't I don't walk around acting like I understand farming or I understand processing like anybody else. What I do is I just make sure that um, I connect the dots, for lack of better words. That's that's a that's a smart business model. It's a keen business model because many people are finding themselves um, becoming like yeah, multiverse, but possibly stretched too thin. And then when you're not, you don't want to become a jack of all trades and a master of none. You know. Yeah, exactly. And so, (laughs) yeah, seriously, we've got people that are upset about that. And like, I, I like what you said about the genetics um, and really what, where that's stressing a lot of, a lot of issues. Um, yeah. It's going to pump the brakes on the industry. Yeah. Big issue. And we are, I know New Mexico 
um, tried to model the federal 2018 farm bill laws like as close as they could. So the t- total THC was not a surprise to any, anything that farmers were dealing with down here this year. Um, but, but it was tough for a lot of farmers to even meet inside of those regulations in the first place. Like it was a very big research year, a very big testing year for, and a lot of acres are, yeah, just going to crap because of that. Yeah. And that's what, um, that's what universities are for and other types of, uh, private research institutions. I mean, they should, researchers are usually always lead the way. I mean, I'm not saying I want this to be um, anything like a a drug approval process with the FDA that takes years upon years, maybe even a decade, but um, to pump the brakes a little bit, allow the pilot projects to figure out what's going on and what's best for um, the country and the markets. It's not a bad thing. Uh, Maybe we just got to look, the government can be blamed for letting their skis but at the same time the people can be blamed for trying to take the risk and going ahead before seeing uh seeing the guidelines sure and yeah and that brings it into the then a little other part of the final interim rule with the um the seed feminized seed sourcing um you go ahead and try to read it there or it does not include a seed certification program according to the hemp industry daily um, because the same seeds grown in a different geographical locations and growing and different growing conditions can react differently. So as we know, I mean, that makes sense. Hard to certify yeah. seeds when you don't have the data. Yeah. So that's exactly why, I mean, it makes sense that there's no, so, so it's very funny. You have, you have a bunch of people who seem to put the cart before the horse and just getting started. So the government ha- had to do something, but then you have the government being a little bit reserved and saying, well, we're not going to mandate that they be certified seeds because um, if I recall correctly, there's only about 16 certified seeds in the entire um, CFR that's, <clears throat> that's uh, already out there. So I don't, I don't think that that making people follow that would be good the country necessarily i don't think that and then i don't think creating some arbitrary rule that certain seeds are good because these random variables that the government picked without any data backing it so i mean again it's one of those things where they kind of split the baby it's like we're going to let you keep going but we kind of pump the brakes on this total thc thing so pick your seeds at your own peril and grow in a very conservative way and you'll be okay um it's kind of one of those things where um Bears and bull, or it seems as though the uh, the bears in the market will be a little bit safer, whereas the bulls are going to get burned. For sure, yeah, and the bulls get burned big time right now. And... Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> and um, one thing I will say is, it, I, I truly do think the government has taken a really, really good first step, and I'm and I'm not a big pro government guy. But um, they were reserved with the seeds, which I think is great. If they would have done something very strict with the seeds, then nobody would have been able to grow. Whereas now everybody can grow, but it's kind of a grow at your own risk. Now, um, the implications for you, like conducting international business, does this does this affect that for you at all? Well, n- no, actually it doesn't. It's really great. So um, if I... If I'm remembering correctly, the the USDA does allow for shipment of international international hemp derived goods that are 
below uh, below a certain threshold. I can't remember, but but um, the fact of the matter is, we're going to be able to import seeds that are that are um, oh, they have to be accompanied by a phytosanitary report and a couple other documents um, from the local from the respective jurisdictions governing body. So um, if we were bringing things in from Colombia, they would need a phytosanitary report from from their counterpart of our USDA. So that's what will allow for for international trade and and honestly it's we're we're good to go. Cool. That's cool. That's good news um as the USA kind of sorts sorts itself out on on the Yeah, you're going to lose a little bit. They're just as good scientists down there in Colombia and if we can get work done quicker um, because of the the reduced cost down in Colombia, and be able to bring those genetics over the United over to the United States to allow for our markets to really commercialize and get at full potential quicker, then it's for the better. That's awesome. Good for you guys. That's that's extremely competitive too. Um, that's awesome. I I kind of wanted to ask you also about your outlook on the regulations of um, CBD and and hemp-derived products in general, uh, maybe in terms of the FDA rather than the USDA? Yeah, so um, it's it's interesting you say that. So we were talking about that uh, yesterday as well, and it's we were thinking about it as will the FDA um, – should the FDA allow for distillates to be used at all as additives alone, not as though you're taking a distillate all on its own, I'm not saying that people shouldn't be able to consume distillates, buy distillates, all those types of things. So before anybody freaks out, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you're going to be adding a cannabinoid or any adulterant, if you will, to the um, the larger food market, let me say you're you're putting it in bread, then should you be allowed to use a distillate on that bread? even if you can't measure with extreme certainty exactly the cannabinoids within that distillate. I think if, if I, <clears throat> we were having a conversation, I think we looked up in, phar- in pharmacokinetics, they allow for a 20% standard deviation on measurements. Um, that scared me, and I didn't, I didn't even know that. But I, I can't imagine that we have um, better measuring capabilities than, the, than big pharma. So, if if you're at what I'm trying to say is if you're going to add anything to an a food on the market, it should be done with an isolate, and you can create a tritate. You can you can isolate every cannabinoid and then mix them back together so you know exactly what you're putting in the food. But I just want to make sure that they don't want have, I, we don't have a bunch of mom and pops throwing a bunch of cannabinoids that they don't even know how they were um, processed because they're so far down the supply chain. And they don't know if they were if they were even grown um, in accordance with the law. So all these things. I just think that the FDA needs to make sure that um, the real professionals, the real CGMP, ISO, um, food-grade facilities are the ones actually dealing with food and not just opening it up to anybody and everybody to start making basically a bunch of um, non-psychoactive edibles. Seriously, and, like, I, I see exactly your point. Like, I see people's counterargument to that, but my counterargument to that is, well, if somebody, if people start getting hurt really quickly, like, all of a sudden the FDA is going to be accountable real fast, and it's, yeah. it's just scary. And, I mean, I'll be, I'm kind of a germaphobe, too, so maybe I'm not the best person to ask, but I don't, I don't like people just – it would make me a super conservative – it's just going to make people like me even more of a conservative shopper, and then I'm not going to – I won't even touch – 
DVD products at that point. I'm just going to be like, forget it. I'm going to have to find one person or one company that I truly trust. And honestly, it would be Greenpoint Research. And I would just only use our products. I would, it, would, it would really sow a lot of um, hesitation and uh, apprehension in, in my buying process. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. And it might even just ruin, like it can ruin the stigma. I don't know what the perfect balance or the yin-yang and that sort of process is. I don't either. And I think that's why everybody needs to be, instead of being an angry advocate, just go be an advocate and, and talk to your regulators and get close with them and create coalitions or political action committees or farming cooperatives, whatever you have to do to, to garner voices. Um, it's really not that difficult to get a hold of your state rep not talking about your federal congressman or congresswoman, but your state rep, if you get to them, you talk to them, they're the most local thing. And I mean, like you, it's pretty funny how, you know, how if you get enough people yelling in a room that they, they actually do things, believe it or not, local politicians, and um, they know their federal counterparts. So if things get serious enough, then you could probably carry ideas up. I mean, good ideas travel. If really people think all these slimy lobbyists do all, do all uh, make everything happen and, don't get me wrong. They play a very strong role, but at the same time, a good idea is a good idea. And if it, if it actually helps the industry, which are the ideas that should survive, then they will percolate to the top and, and they'll be heard. So um, I'm not trying to say it's easy or trying to make it sound like it's easy, but um, that's the real approach to getting things done. I like that. And I, I, I mean, I haven't ever been um, the most engaged in my local law um in the pharmacy side we've done some small lobbying for some small bills but we like yeah i've never really tried to really cause a stir so i i appreciate that um feedback to the community just you know don't be afraid to go out there and talk to yeah it's not hard it to get a hundred people together when you're talking about farmers and stuff they've got at least five people probably working the farm and i'm sure everybody cares about the issue i mean you pull together a hundred people and you guys demand a meeting with your state rep and, and talk to them about what's going on, you're going to be heard. And and then you're going to hear the pushback. And once you understand, and that's really what it's all about is getting a strong dialogue going because you need to understand the actual pushback on what you're ta- on, on your issue or your, or whatever you're pushing for. If, if they're telling you, if you're hearing the same thing over and over again from a bunch of different officials, I mean, maybe you do have a problem and maybe that's not as clear cut of a solution as you think. So um, critical feedback is just that critical. So uh, I think that if anything, it helps you strengthen your argument. For sure. And I, so, okay, cool. We talked about a little bit about CBD and a little bit about distillation and um, kind of the, I, I like what you were saying there about, you know, the farmer gets so lost in the supply chain that you really don't even know where your products came from or how they were processed. And that's a, I mean, that's a scary thing that opens up that market into some weird stuff right now. And like overall hurts the stigma and hurts kind of like the longevity of like what people are trying to build on a quality and trust. It just, it impacts it. Mm -hmm. There's all these labs out there that are small labs that have been doing this for five years kicking ass, but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if some of them are running hot products uh, knowingly in between their compliant products. So I won't go into it any further than that, but but um, it only takes a, a few bad apples to spoil the bunch. 
hey Raymond, where what um, do you see in the industry in the next one to five years, given everything we just discussed? Um, really, I mean, uh, it's just going to be natural commoditization. If you, I like to treat this the cannabinoid market at least. We'll we'll address this in two parts, or I'll address this in two parts. Basically, the PCR side and the industrial hemp side. So, really, the PCR side is going to commoditize. Um, CBD being the largest, um, the largest cannabinoid per content whenever you're extracting will probably always be the anchor, <clears throat> excuse me, the anchor cannabinoid, if you will, when you're talking about a grading system. Um, I liken it to the oil industry. So basically you have, when you're grading oil, you have sulfur content, um, you have the type of oil where it came from, um, and then you have basically the amount of volume or density of the of the um of the barrel so of course there's other variables involved but when you liken that to the to the cannabinoid market you basically have cbd being your oil content what you're anchoring your your measurement to you have instead of sulfur content you'll have extraction and then um you'll also have that density of the of the of the distillate or crude oil so when you're when you're talking about grading it and that's what you're going to need in order for the market to commoditize. Then the crude oil is essentially going to be graded on how it was extracted, whether it was ethanol, um, you know, cryoethanol, CO2, or, and then it'll be looked at. You look at THC content, you look at CBD anchor cannabinoids, you look at extractants, and then you'll have um, like kickers. If you have a bunch of CBG or CBN and the barrel will have some type of premium associated with it. So for the PCR market, I see those prices dropping extremely. Like I, I see, I mean, I see liters of crude oil or, or kilograms of crude oil going around probably for a thousand dollars in a year or so, and just making. And then at that point, you'll have CBD isolate. I mean, probably not too much higher, fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred, because you're gonna have an, an insane amount of processing coming online. But really, what I'm that's all gonna that's all going to play itself out, commoditize, and then as we find new uses for each cannabinoid, people will be able to exploit premiums in the market on their crude oil if they can grow genetics that produce that particular cannabinoid. But what I'm actually way more interested in and care way more about is industrial hemp and uh, and the paper market, particular, particularly container board, um, or if you're looking at some type of hemp-derived OSB board, um, these are the things that that I care about. Um, there were, it's what I think is going to be, has the largest total addressable market, has the biggest need for becoming even more sustainable than it is, um, is not, is not going to start, uh, decreasing because I don't think bioplastics or regular plastics, bioplastics aren't a quick solution and regular plastics aren't really good for the world. So paper actually is our friend and we can grow more trees, actual trees, um, than we cut down. So it's not, that's really not the issue. The issue is can you sequester enough carbon or actually do do better with your sustainable operation than using pine trees, which takes six to 12 years in order to uh, harvest for any type of virgin pulp um, operation. So over the next one to five years, I think in general, PCR hemp will commoditize extremely quickly. Hopefully crude oil gets a grading system. And then um, the researchers find certain cannabinoids or certain use cases in order for the market to fetch premiums. And then for industrial hemp, I see really big big industries getting plugged into if pop, if people work it the right way, such as paper, 
um, and things of that nature. So uh, I'm super excited about it. And I just, I just think if everybody <clears throat> stays ahead of the curve on, uh, on research, works with good genetic, works with good genetics and uh, stays honest, then, then they'll be able to make some money in this industry. Awesome. That's a, I love your closing remarks, Raymond. Um, with that, sir, um, I kind of want to follow up. What do you think about terpenes and the future of terpenes in, in some of these applications? Yeah. So terpenes are super interesting. Um, I'll be honest. I don't, I don't know enough about them except that I know that they could be used in, in cleaning products, but at the same time are, could be uh, uh, good for somebody to literally smell and calm them down. So um, one interesting thing I did have happen um, was I went to Oak Ridge National Laboratory and was speaking with some people, and uh, uh, apparently there's some terpenes out there that are substitutes for jet fuel. So, I mean, that, I, it makes me laugh because you sound – I, I, I sound like some – idiot if you don't understand any of the science behind it and you go around telling people that you can derive something from a plant and it's a one-to-one substitute for jet fuel but um oak ridge national laboratory did create the atomic bomb and if they're at least looking at it and working on it uh people don't waste their money there or their time so it's it's interesting the terpene world is if if this is the wild wild west the terpene world is the final frontier of space wow <laughs> awesome and thank you, Raymond, again, for being on the show today. Um, I, I was going to go ahead and link your email to the show notes for anybody that wants to get a hold of you, the corporate de- vice president of corporate development at Greenpoint Research. Um, um, what would they? What would someone want to get a hold of you for? Industrial farming, industrial hemp farming? So, yeah, ri- just in a nutshell, we, we provide great genetics. Um, we contract farm and we farm, so we farm 30 to 35% of our own farms and contract farm the other 60 to 65%. Um, and lastly, we do first phase processing. So people who want to buy crude oil, people who want to buy seeds, people who want to um, become contract farmers for us in order to supply certain um, other customers we have for um, their particular use case, then all the above. So really we're a mid to upstream company. So, if anybody wants to do JVs or, or talk about um, some type of business collaboration that they think we might be interested in, especially on the research side, please reach out. Thank you. Thank you, Raymond, again, for coming on the show today. You have a, a great rest of your day. Yep. You too, Joaquin. Thanks.